And we are nearing the end of the book of 1 John, and the title for today's message is Brass Tacks. We're going to just lay it on the line. We're going to make it as easy as possible, and we're going to get down to the brass tacks. And by brass tacks, we're going to talk about, if you want to have life in Christ, like real life in Christ, this is it. Just in the same way we talked about having life in the Son, we're going to talk about how that occurs. We're going to first look at the first five verses, and then we're going to go through up to verse 12 in our talk. So follow along with me. 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well, or loves his children, brothers and sisters as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. All his command and his commands are not burdensome. This is a hard word. Say burdensome. It's a weird word, isn't it? So all of his commands are not heavy and overloaded. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's very simple, brass tacks, bottom level, this is it. If you read the whole book of 1 John, I was, I was uh, reading a couple commentaries, and one commentary writer said the book of 1 John is like listening to a one-way phone conversation where you just hear the person on this side of the line and you're not sure what the other person is believing or saying because it's, uh, his, his words are really kind of terse and choppy. Like he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ, born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. Most people will expand on that. He's just very choppy, very quick. And so the question is, who's on the other end of the line? Who's he talking to? And I want to kind of go through this a second because you, you will be surprised, I don't think you'll be surprised, how the same problems the early church had, we have. Some scholars will say, well, the people on the other line are, you have a group of people that just wanted to live their lives, they didn't want to do God's will, but they still wanted God's blessing. They didn't want to do his commands, but they still wanted to be his children. Some other people believe that, you know what, I don't want to love my brother and sister. In fact, we talked about this a couple of times, probably some of the people in 1 John were either considering leaving the church or they already left the church and wanted to move on. I don't need the church. It's a hassle. And you know, loving your neighbor, your brother, your sister is hard. And then the third group of people we're going to talk about here today a little bit, too, is there's people who just want to know for sure, and God has to convince me to where there's no more doubt, but if he doesn't convince me, I'm not going to believe. Because doubt, you know, it's up in the air. So we're going to talk about that. I like what, how Mike Whitmer explains the current culture of the church. He said, people in today's church want a fill-in-the-blank God in which we're all free to believe whatever we prefer. If we've been hurt by men, 
We can say God is mother and daughter rather than father and son. If we enjoy gluttony, greed, or sexual immorality, we can set aside biblical commands and say our God is okay with such things. If we don't, like, don't think a loving God would send people to hell, we can revise how we want the afterlife to go. Heaven and hell can become whatever we want them to be. No one can say we are wrong because no one really knows. But right from the beginning of 1 John, John says, I know. Not only do I know, but I saw him, I heard him, and I touched him, and you can know him too. That's why throughout the book of 1 John, the key word is to know, to have an understanding that is certain. And today, he's going to tell you how you can know you have life that's eternal. I'm going to make three points that are going to be very specific, and I don't want you to be confused. So I want a person in here who is confused, or even questioning what it means to have life in God, I want you to be able to leave without having any questions. I want you to believe, but more importantly, I want you to really know what God is saying here. I want it to be clear as crystal. So the first point is, if you want to have eternal life, living forever, starting now, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must have new birth in the Spirit. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Even verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the one who believes is the one who's born of God. There's some dispute on this. Are you born and then believe? Like, are you, are you born again and then believe? Or do you believe to become born again? Like, there's a, it's a big theological debate. It actually goes into Calvinism, Arminianism, but the question is, do I believe and then I believe that then I'm born again, or am I born again and then believe? John Stott, who's a Greek scholar, would say the way verse 1 is, is has the idea that a person must first be born again in order to believe. He writes, our present continuing activity of believing is the result, therefore the evidence of our past experience of new birth by which we become and remain God's children. So he's saying it like this. If you want to take it to blindness, we were first blind, and in order to see, God had to heal us of blindness. So I'm first healed, and then I see. So I'm first born again, and then I believe. So to believe, new birth must first take place. How exactly does new birth take place? That's what I want to talk about. I think we often miss a step in a process. Normally, here's how we say it. We say the ABCs of salvation. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is God's Son. And C, commit your life to the Lord. But I think we're missing something that comes first. And you'll see what I mean in a second. I think we miss hearing the message. A lot of us are stubborn. And before we can actually receive the message or let the seed enter the soil of our heart, a lot of us have hard hearts. We don't listen. Look at, go to the book of James. You'll see what I mean. 
James is two books before 1 John. James chapter 1 and verse 18. He's going to kind of tell us how a person is born again. Where he's going to give us the two variables. Verse 18 says, He, meaning God, this is James 1.18, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. So birth comes through the word of truth. So what you need, first of all, is a sent, a speaker who speaks the word of truth. Romans says, how can they believe if, if no one's sent? Romans 10 says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. So you first need somebody delivering the word of God. So you could say, I'm that speaker and I'm delivering the word of God. The second thing you need is a receiver that has open ears. And I think the problem before the ABCs is there's a lot of people that don't want to listen. They don't want to hear it. And so they aren't able to receive it. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 and 5. Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5. So he is, uh, this is known as what's called a messianic verse. It kind of describes what Jesus was like on earth, how he received the Father, whatever the Father told him, he received and obeyed. But I also think it describes a true believer. So starting in verse 4 and 5, it write, Isaiah writes, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Why? Because he, God, wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear like one being instructed. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. So before anybody hears the word of God, God has to give them a willingness to listen, to hear, to lean in and want to know. And a lot of people, especially in the church, will lean back and go, I've heard this a million times. Here we go again. Go to the book of Jeremiah, one book to the right. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 10. Jeremiah is going to describe some of the conditions of a society before God's judgment comes. It's going to be just the opposite of Isaiah. And listen to what he says is the first condition of the heart before God comes in judgment. Jeremiah 6, verse 10. To whom can I speak and give warning? So Jeremiah is the speaker sent by God. He's the first person. Whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them and they find no pleasure in it. I think before the ABCs, you got to find pleasure in what God's telling you. And what he's saying is the problem with this culture is people found this offensive. There was no joy or delight. There was no wanting of God's Word. Go to Matthew, first book in the New Testament. This is exactly what Jesus says. And the reason why I bring this up is it just has been hitting me a lot lately that the people who want to know, know. The people who don't want to know are never going to receive it in the first place. Look at Matthew 13, verses 15 and 16. 
he's talking about, Jesus is talking about parables. And parables are stories that he tells, and some people listen and some people don't. That's why they're told in parable form. Then he says in verse 15, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might have seen with their eyes, and, and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But, blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. So in a sense, the message really has nothing to do with the speaker. It has everything to do with the listener. Do you even want to hear? No, I want to laugh. Tell me something funny. Or no, I, I just want to be informed, so be very intelligent. A true receiver says, wow, I've never read that before. Hebrews 4, 7 says this. You don't have to turn there, but it says, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That means don't be stubborn, don't close your ear, let it land, and when you let it land, you'll start to consider it. And when you receive it, you will change. What are you to receive? Well, 1 John says this message, that Jesus is the Christ, he's God's king, who he's promised for thousands of years, and he's the son of God. That's 1 John 5.1 and 1 John 5.5. And I put in there living God because God is alive right now. So is Jesus. All right, so let's go to brass tacks number two. Number one was, if you're going to have eternal life, you need to be born again, and you're born again by believing and receiving the message. Brass tacks number two we find in 1 John 5, 2 through 4. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So what this next part is are signs of life. How you know that you are actually alive. In the same way, a human being is alive. They have heartbeat, they have brain function, and they have, they have oxygen. There's three things a person needs spiritually to know that they are truly a child of God. And the first one is belief. Verse 1, everyone who believes. Verse 4, this is the victory that's overcome the world. Our faith, it's the same idea as believe. And in verse 5, who is it that overcomes? Only the one who believes. So belief is the first sign of life. Belief is the beginning of spiritual life. And it's the continuation of spiritual life, and it is, it is spiritual life. Romans 1.17 says the gospel is by faith from first to last. Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible to please God without faith. What is faith? It's two things. I'm going to be very clear. One, faith believes that God exists. Right now, the holy loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God is. He's real. He's even here. So it believes he exists. And number two, faith believes 
He rewards those who seek Him. That He's for you, not against you. That He has promises to heal you, restore you. That He loves you. Faith for me embraces and lives in the fact that there is someone else in the world, not just me. And He is now even in this room, and He's all-powerful. But He's good. It's like saying Aslan is a lion. He's a good lion, but he's not a tame lion. God is a good God, but he's all-powerful. And that's where everything begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if this God really exists, if he really exists, then that means I am not in charge. I'm not the star of the show. I'm not the final authority. I'm really... I'm not. He is. And that's, I think, the hardest place for all of us to start because we like to be the star of the show. We like to be in charge. And we like things our way. Second sign of life is love. Love for God, but more importantly, love for each other. Look at verse 2. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. That's all we talked about last week is love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you can say you love God all you want, but John said, but we don't see God. So it's easy to play the game that you love God. But we see our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are hard to love. But if you love God, you will love them because he died for them. He died for them. So you will just love them. And then the final sign of true life is obedience, obedience to his word. That's what verse 3 is all about. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Say burdensome again. That's a hard word, isn't it? It's a hard word. Before a person's born again, they don't like this. They see God's law as the problem, a restriction on their freedom, an arbitrary, tyrannical rule meant to make them miserable. I remember I worked in this really grungy um, repair shop back in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had to work with this guy that was younger than me, and he, but he was my boss, and he found out I was a Christian, and he didn't like it. And he said, it's your God and his rules that make this world a nightmare. Before people are born again, they don't like God's rule because they want to be independent. They want to be the ruler. But once a person comes to God, they begin to see that his laws are meant to protect you from evil and from your flesh and from the devil. And they are to bless you, to provide goodness to you. God gives us promises. And these promises are promises of blessing. When I obey his promises, I do his commands, he pours out his blessing. A person who's alive sees that, sees that as a good thing. When you love God, you will want to do what he says, and you'll see his commands as the best thing for you. Jesus says it like this in John 14, 23 and 24. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. I like what one writer said. He said, love for God, love for God is not primarily an emotional experience. It is a moral commitment. It is not primarily an emotional experience. Oh, I just love God. It's a moral commitment. I believe God, so I will do what he says. It's like this, Chris, take out the garbage. Mom, you know I love you. I'm your son. I love you. Yeah, but did you take out the bark? Come on, Mom. You know, I love you, Mom. I love you. That's not my question. It simply is this. Did you take out the garbage? Love for your mom will cause you to take out the garbage. Love for God will cause you to obey his commands. One writer says the reason why we do not find the commands of God hard and burdensome lies not in the law, but it lies in our heart. Through the Spirit, He gives us the possibility of keeping them. These are three vital signs. Belief, love, and obedience. And other results of the Spirit of God living in your life. When you're born again, you begin living a new kind of life. You're different. Just what I said, when, if I'm forgiven, I need to forgive. In the same way, a healthy baby born in this world will breathe air, have proper brain function, a blood that's pulsating through their body by a good heart, because by design, that's health. By design, spiritually speaking, that's health. That's health. And when you do these things, you're going to be an overcomer. You'll have power to overcome the world. Verse 5, who is that? overcomes the world. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The person who's born again has life that overcomes. So the question is, what does it mean to overcome? Here's what it means. It means that the sinful pleasure that once was so alluring and so fascinating, that sucked you in and trapped you and pulled you in like a net, it no longer fascinates it no longer pulls. It actually is kind of, eh, I don't want it. Where you know that spiritual command that seems so heavy and restrictive is now easy. Or that natural hatred you have for others, it's gone. It's, it's, you don't take offense like you used to. It's gone. Why? Because Satan's spell is broken. The evil clutches no longer grab me. The blindness over your eyes is cleared and the devil no longer deceives and entices and lures me in. And what was once a burden for me, his commands and obedience, has now become my heart's desire, a delight. I'll give you two examples to make it really easy. So when I was 23 years old, I had a date on a Saturday afternoon. Actually, it was a Saturday evening, but I had a conversation with my dad that afternoon before my date. It was 4 o'clock, and I just was not looking forward to this date. My dad said, Chris, here's what he asked me, would you rather go out on a date with this girl or have me make you a hamburger on the grill, cook some fries in the oven, and watch Terminator on TV? What would you rather? I said, Dad, I said it like this, oh, that sounds so good. 
I would definitely rather stay home with you and have a hamburger. And he laughed and he said, call that girl up, cancel the date, because she's definitely not the one for you. Because when you find the right one, you will not want to have a hamburger with your dad, is what he said. He was right. A few years later, I met a girl named Michelle, and I found out my dad was absolutely right. I would drive through four hours of rain just to see her for the night, and I did not want to watch Terminator with my dad. Are you kidding me? Love flipped my heart upside down. Love changes your heart. It's the same way when the Spirit enters. Your love for God just happens. In my life, I was saved at 23 years old. I just got done playing rugby. I can remember it was the weirdest thing. Even though I was working landscaping and I was in the prime of my life, I was 23. You know what I wanted to do when I came home from work? I didn't want to go to Cleveland where the flats were, where all my buddies would go get beers and go dancing. I wanted to come home, and for four hours, I wanted to listen to J. Vernon McGee. Do you guys know who J. Vernon McGee is? J. Vernon McGee kind of talks like this. <laughs> and he says, my beloved brother, open up to Leviticus chapter 2. See, she's yawning. It's exactly what happens to people listen to J. Vernon McGee. But for some reason, I wanted to do it. And I did it four hours every night all summer long. I wanted to listen. I wanted to listen. My ears were open. It was one of the best summers of my life. I changed. I didn't want to go get beer with my buddies. I wanted to know my God. I wanted to hear him, and I wanted to do what he wanted me to. Faith, love, and obedience became easy. So point number one, do you want to have eternal life? You must be born again. Point number two, how do you know you have eternal life? You obey. You love. You believe. So point number three, and this is talking about there's going to be some people when they hear this are still going to have doubts. And that's what this section deals with. There will always be the person who wants more proof. Give me more proof. Like, I get it, but I still need more evidence I need more facts. Tell me more about archaeology. And often the person who wants more, until they're completely convinced, won't believe. They won't obey. I call this the doubt smokescreen. As long as there's doubts, I don't have to do. And then when I go to heaven, I can plead ignorance. I just didn't have enough to believe. They'll, they'll, they'll take their arms like this, put up their arm and say, show me more or I won't believe. And there is this sense in most Christians where, oh, i got to find the right answer. I just need to give them the right answer. Because um, we actually believe if I don't have enough evidence, it's my fault. It sounds so intellectual, so reasonable. But it is actually a position of pride. It's a person saying, I have the right not to commit to God until he proves things my way. But John says here, he's proved it. He's proved it his way, and his way is the best way. Let me show you what I mean, starting in verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. 
He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And, and it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given us about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. And here's the scary part. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. So what is the testimony God has given? He's given us water, blood, and his Spirit. And these are meant to be given to us as a powerful testimony to his truthfulness. So what does that mean? There's a lot of argument on this. There's a lot written on this. I probably read 30 pages on this. One group of people would say water and blood represents the ordinances, the ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of communion. And when we participate in the ordinances, we are giving testimony to the truth that God exists right now. That's pretty good. I don't think that's what John's talking about. Some people think the water is when Jesus, though he was sent from heaven, he came through the birth canal through Mary, and Mary, you know, her water broke like every baby born into this world. So Jesus was born through water. There's some truth to that, but I want to kind of condense it down. Here's what I think's going on. And I think it relates to what John already wrote about in his first book, the book of John. The first story is about the baptism of Jesus. The Spirit came down from sky. John baptized him and said, One who is greater than me is coming after me. A prophet. And so Jesus is the prophet. The Spirit said, This is my beloved Son. And then it said, Testified to this truth. So the baptism of Jesus, when he was baptized with water, was the first testimony God gave and said, This is my Son. The second testimony is when Jesus was on the cross, they took the spear, speared him in the side, and out came blood and water. It does prove that he's a man with the blood, but it also proves he was the great high priest who offered the perfect sacrifice. In John 19, 34-37, the very end it says, the guard saw what happened and said, this truly is the Son of God. He bore witness to what he saw. And then the third one, the Holy Spirit, shows that he's the king. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says, When Jesus ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father, he was given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he poured it out as you see. In Acts 20, it says that he gave out the gift of the Holy Spirit. He told the disciples to wait for this gift. In fact, in John chapter um, 15 or 16 5 through 15 Jesus says it's better for you if I leave because when I leave the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to give into you and he's going to testify about me in you so all three of these the water the blood and the spirit testify that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God so now with all that in mind read 1 John 5 9 again 1 John 5 9 we accept human testimony. Like, we cannot make arguments, apologetics. We accept human testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it's testimony of God. 
So these three things, these three events, were given by God to prove that His Son is who we've been waiting for. It's who we've been waiting for. And when you believe that Jesus is the Son, you are taking God at His word. And God does not lie. He doesn't lie. The book of John is, John keeps saying, I'm telling you the truth. Actually, go to the book of John a second. The book of John is the fourth gospel. It's the same guy who wrote 1 John. But go to John, very last chapter. Twenty-one, in verse twenty-four, and listen to how he writes it. This is the disciple John. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things of well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So he really could have given us a whole lot more testimony, but he said, this is enough. The water, blood, and the spirit is enough. John Stott says this. I like what he says. Unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. What does that mean? That means, oh, poor guy, he doesn't have enough to believe. Poor fella. We need to find more evidence to help them believe. He said, but no, rather, unbelief is a sin to be deplored. That means to be avoided at all costs. Why is this a sin to be deplored? It's very simple. When God sent Jesus, he spared no expense to prove that he's the Son of God. Nor to prove that his Son has the ability to save us to the uttermost. That's what John 11 and 12 is about, 1 John 11 and 12. If you believe, you have life in the Son. If you don't believe, you do not have life in the Son. And if you refuse it, according to Stott, you're just being a hard-hearted, stubborn, ungrateful person. Look at it like this. Let's say you're, you have been dating a girl for a long time and you want to ask her to be your wife. So you think, how can I impress her? All right, so you buy a $5,000 ticket to Hawaii. You buy a $10,000 ring. Wendy, imagine this. Yeah, Wendy's already like, wow, that's incredible. And then you, and then you, Plan the night perfectly where it's on Waikiki Beach at 7 o'clock so when the sun goes down, you know that's the perfect time you're going to get on your knee and you're going to propose to her. You buy her, her a wardrobe just for the night. You have a nice outfit. You have a flowered lay. You get on your knee. The sun's going down. It has that orange-yellow glow. The water's still. And you get on your knee and you open this little felt red box and the sun hits that diamond and shines in her eye. And then you say, will you marry me? And how would you feel if she said, ah, could you do a little bit more for me? I'm not sure you really mean it. You're not sure I mean it? I just gave the world for you. You're not sure God means it? He sent his son to die for you on the cross. What else do you want? Could, could you give me more? Could you convince me a little more? Convince you? 
That's what stop means by it's kind of a sin to be deplored because what God is doing is he has rolled out the red carpet for you by sending his only son to die for you. Like I I see it right there. So there's Tom and his grandson Carson. He loves his grandson. I know he wouldn't want to send his grandson to die for you. Jesus sent his son, his only son. What more does God have to do to prove it? You want eternal life? You must be born again. To be born again, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. How do you know that you're born again? You believe, you love, and you obey. Yeah, but what I want, I want more. Why? My question just for you is, are you alive? Are you alive? And if not, today, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart, because today is the day of salvation. I'm clearly speaking, but are you hearing? If you are hearing, do you believe I'm telling you the truth? Do you need more than Jesus? Why? What more is there? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.